Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are watching and listening to the Downtown Writers Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today from the heart of Northern Appalachia in Pittsburgh. Today on the program, Stephen Tingle and his book Graveyard Fields is out now. And we had a very lovely conversation. Uh, if you've listened to the program at all, uh, you're going to be a little bit shocked by how he ended up becoming uh, a novel writer, which is fantastic. And it's why I do this program, because writers are just a weird lot. So Steve, uh, Stephen lives down in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, he's a journalist focused on luxury lifestyle and travel and was the editor-at-large for Tempest, a publication for private jet owners. Uh, he wrote a script um, detailing the early history of South Carolina textile industry, and it's been produced, and it's going to air in PBS uh, this year. He grew up in the mountains of Crusoe, North Carolina, where he spent years mowing greens and washing golf carts before studying hotel and restaurant management and going on to manage his parents' golf course. So this will be probably the only literary podcast where you ever get a long discussion about golf courses. Before we get to all that, just a couple bits of business we got to cover. The Jam Proper comes out every Wednesday, and these podcasts come out about Monday and Friday. And there's a couple things you can do to help us spread the word about them. First, tell your friends about us. That is the number one way that we get found out. And second, leave us a review wherever you listen to the audio podcast, in particular, if you listen to Apple, because they allow you to leave a written and a star review. You can also head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review there, or head to writersjam.com and leave us a testimonial through the contact page. While you're there, you can do things like check out this video podcast series, which you can also find on the Solid Listen Podcast Network YouTube channel. If you're looking for a book to read, we have both reviews and a bookshop link that you can click and buy the book right there from a local and independent bookstore. And if all of that's too much, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Everything will just show up right in your email box. Last thing you can do at the website, support everybody on the Solid Listen Network. Click on that Patreon button, just a couple bucks a month. You get commercial-free episodes and all kinds of bonus content from everybody on the network. So this was like a really fun conversation. Stephen and I uh, have a lot of similarities and, you know, being a journalist growing up in Appalachia and sort of the mountain regions and, and being outdoorsy. But it's always interesting to me when people fall into writing books, which happens more often than you would think. It's such a terrible endeavor 
and yet people find themselves doing it. And so we were just sort of laughing because he kind of floats through the world. Um, and you're going to hear a really fascinating story from a really funny guy. And it's a whole lot of like shoulder shrugging. We're like, well, and then I did this and this is sort of where it led me, which I have to say is not that different from my life. And I'm guessing if you look back on what you do, most of you sort of had that, like, man, I didn't really have a plan and this is how it worked out. And I love those conversations because artists and people that write and, and, and people that create things fascinate me for so many reasons but that sort of following what you want to do and sort of ending up in places you weren't expecting to go i think makes some of the most interesting people on the planet plus the kind of journalism he does is completely different than anything i've ever done too so how you end up in like travel and luxury anything clearly I do not know how that happens. So it's a fun interview. He's a great guy. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, I appreciate you all stopping by. I appreciate you spending about a half hour of your day with Stephen and I. I hope that you're doing well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope that you will sit back and enjoy my conversation with Stephen Tingle. So my, when I grew up, my neighbor designed golf courses and literally my whole oh, family. Really? Yeah. He designed courses throughout um, Cincinnati in the greater sort of, oh, you know, greater Cincinnati region. And my oh. aunt and like, they all grew up working on a golf course. And I just yeah. realized like, we got a thing in common. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I did. So like, did your family do that? Is that what happened? Yeah. My fam, my, my dad uh, built and opened the golf course the year before I was born. Like so in the I, town? Yeah, a little town called Crusoe, actually, where the book is set. Yeah. So yeah, it's a real place. Uh, and yeah, so I grew up there mowing greens, washing golf carts, doing all that stuff. That was Is my that life. the only one he designed or was he a golf course designer? No, that was it. He, really? He bought, yeah, he bought the land. That was just his dream. He had been in New York. He had been in the uh, kind of fashion business um, patterns. My grandfather was uh, Butterick Patterns. So sewing patterns. Yeah. And my dad and the company was bought out when my dad was in his early 40s. And he said, you know what? I'm going to leave Manhattan. I'm going to move to Western North Carolina and build a golf course. Just because. Just because. That's I'm what he did. I'm assuming he was a golfer. Not a good one <laughs> and, and knew nothing about building a course or managing it. And yeah, so I, it's, it's amazing to, to think back at what he took on. But yeah. That's, able... that's insane. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hell of a midlife crisis. Let me tell you. Yeah. Now, did you guys have like ties to that town? My mom is from there. Okay. So at least there was one thing. That yeah. made sense about going back. Yeah. So he, so yeah, he leaves New York, gets divorced, buys all this land, meets this woman 13 years younger, gets married, builds a golf course, has me. There you go. And that, and then, so you grow up. So, oh, so you missed the whole Manhattan thing. Like you grew up in this small town yeah, on this I, golf course. I was born and raised right there. Yeah. And Crusoe. So I know what my life was like around the golf courses. What was it like for you? Uh, it, it was nice. I, I liked it. I liked being outdoors and I, I didn't, 
really give a shit about playing golf, but <laughs> I liked being out there and having all that freedom of all that land, you know, and having golf carts and yeah, there it is. Motors and tractors and all that. <laughs> Man, that was great. Yeah. 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 What about, about uh, 11 o'clock at night with the golf course is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. If you grew up in a small town, you're like, oh, yeah. Like if you had access to that, like, oh, that's where trouble starts. It was sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so when you sit down to like, uh, well, the other thing that we had in common, I know, is, is the journalism stuff because you ended up, because golf is like, I was a baseball player. So like, that is a leisurely activity that you do before, like for me, that's what it was. Like, right, you went out before right. a game. Like, that is obviously a leisure sport. Sure. Um, and then you become a writer and like are writing about the different kind of leisure stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So All the travel left, and everything. Right. I left the golf thing when I was, uh, I guess, 40, right at 40 and totally switched gears. Kind of like my dad, you know, he switched gears around that when he was that age. So you were with the golf course that long. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was there wow. until I was, yeah, I was the, I, my late twenties, I kind of took over as the general manager and I was there until I was 40. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's went crazy. My, went, then had my midlife crisis. It was my turn. <laughs> yeah. I divorced, moved towns, changed careers. <laughs> if we ever think of nature, yeah, if we ever think it's nature versus nurture, like here's a pretty good argument for nurture. <laughs> <laughs> so you leave that thing and it's like had you been writing up to that point no not at all not at all i just i thought it would i wanted to do something creative because i'd been in this management thing for so long uh and i thought it would be cool to be a magazine writer because i was in love with magazines and and was stupid enough to think that you just email magazine editors and <laughs> say hey i want to write for you and they just bow down and give you assignments and we've been and waiting for you to show up barrel <laughs> full of money and yeah and no that didn't happen so that's uh the only person that would talk to me was a guy who was the editor-in-chief of a trade magazine for golf course superintendents so that's yeah. <laughs> i was trying to get away from golf but that's the only thing that that's the only person to give me a shot yeah it's the, oh, I always tell young writers, it's the, the horror, like you got to be careful what you write because like, as soon as you do that, then people are like, oh, you do that. And you're like, yeah. well, I mean, I can do other stuff. And they're like, no, no, you do that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I didn't, I didn't want to get stuck in that cause I had been trying to get out of it. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate, but, but that gave me uh, some experience and some samples I could yeah. pass around. Uh, and then I got hooked up with some regional travel kind of magazines uh, and like luxury lifestyle magazines. And once I got my foot in, in those doors and I just left golf completely behind. Yeah. It, but it's, it is such an interesting phenomenon to just like at 40 decide, Oh, I'm going to just become a writer. And with no, you didn't have a background in that, right? Like there's no, there's nothing in the preceding 40 years that people were like, well, it's someday uh, he's going to be a writer. No, not at all. Nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. It's the best part about being a writer. So when, when do you decide like, Hey, I want to do books. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's big give week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, So I had been doing magazine writing for probably six years, seven years. And I full time, that was your gig? That was my gig, freelance writing. Wow. Uh, Mostly travel stuff. Yeah. And it was great because I got to travel around uh, on someone else's dime. Yeah, uh, you know, and I was scraping by. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know if you know, but magazines don't pay a whole lot of money. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard tale of such things. <laughs> <You> heard that? Yeah, <laughs> I. Th- I said you can make hundreds of dollars a year as a freelance magazine writer. I mean, it's the truth. Like you know, I came up in the magazine industry, and I was sort of there at the sort of the end of the heyday of you know mm-hmm. i was at conde nast you know until about 2003 and like that was when budget started shrinking both freelance and travel and like you know you didn't send writers on a two-week trip to report a story and pay seven thousand dollars right right my dog is apparently very upset about all of that i guess so very very upset about <laughs> yeah. the everybody the in the household is sad um so when do you so you're doing this for about six years yeah i was doing it for about six years i'd gotten connected with a couple of of really kind of elite magazines one was for um uh was owned by a private jet company so they and it was like a vanity project for this guy who owned this jet company so they got money they got money so (laughs) they would send me places yeah uh and then that came to an end because vanity projects can't last forever, right? <laughs> yeah. Somebody's uh, CPA is like, this is a bad idea. Yeah, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, still had a, I still had some other freelance clients. I was still writing, but I thought, okay, and this is a, a chance to do something different. And I, I just read whatever the latest Michael Conley book was at that uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. And I love all of his books. 
and I got jealous because I thought, man, this, this is really good. And, you know, what I do is a lot of work. I got to go, I got to go interview people and record the interview and transcribe it and then fact check and then call them back. And then I got to quote them, even though I think what I, I could say better, what they're trying to say, yeah. you know, I've got to quote them. It's like, this Conley guy just gets to make shit up. I want to make shit up. <laughs> and that's how it started. Uh, and you were like, I'm going to choose the job that pays less than being a magazine writer. That's what I do, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot more work. Like, it, like, don't ever break down per hour what you've made. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so how do you set about doing So the book is Graveyard Field. So how do you set about, because most people that I interview, when they decide to like, if they, you know, if they're, nobody knows how to be a writer. Nobody knows how to write a novel. And so when people start that, oftentimes they'll like take an MFA or they go start taking classes or they were like, I want to do this, but I actually don't know how to do it. How do you get started not knowing how to do that? Like, what? how does that happen? I just started at page one. I, I, I had no outline, no idea. I just sat down and said, let's see what happens. And I like... Uh, I always loved detective fiction and I thought man it would be cool to put a detective in the little bumfuck town where I grew up <laughs> I think that would be cool and I'm not a good detective so he can't be a very good detective he can't <laughs> be very so we're not reading Sherlock Holmes you're not reading Sherlock <laughs> Holmes no not at all uh so, and that that's what I did and yeah I think part of the reason I didn't give it a whole lot of of thought or our research at the beginning is because I know me and I, I knew I'd never finish it. I thought I'll just, I'll write a few thousand words and get this making stuff up thing out of my system and be done with it and move on to something else. But before I knew it, I had 40,000 words and thought, okay, it's got some weight to it. I've got to, maybe I should keep going and actually get this thing done. So when you, like, were you just making the structure up as you went along? Or like, did you have moments in there where you're like, I got to figure out like what happens in a detective novel? Yeah, I was both. I was making it up as I was going along. And then at that point where I did have 40,000 words, I thought I should have made an outline. Because <laughs> I'd written myself into so many corners that I, I basically had to start over. I mean, so yeah. I wrote this thing, you know, four times probably. Yes. Yeah. It, because... The joke I always make on the show is your first book is your fifth book. And sometimes you got yeah. four in a drawer and sometimes you've rewritten the thing five times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Anytime people ask me how to write a book, I'm like, are you going to write it five times? Write it once, throw that out, start over, do that four more times. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It's, and if you know that at the beginning, nobody would be a writer. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> if you knew you had five to go. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get through it. I no. feel like the writing process, I've said this before, is like the first draft is like, this is great. Then you read it and you're like, uh oh, it's not. Then you don't want to talk about it for two years. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it it it's yeah, you're 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 flying through and, and thinking this is great, this is great, this is great. Wait, this is shit. What yeah. <laughs> the first read when the draft is done is like crushing every dream that you ever had. Exactly right. Yeah. 
So tell me about the book. Tell me about Graveyard because it's set in your hometown. And uh, I'm from a small town. We had one cop, uh, Tony, oh. who I don't need to talk about his last name, but like I always tell people like we were not getting in trouble for anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he was he was not going to catch us doing anything. Yeah, so this uh, this is about a guy named Davis Reed, who's a, a kind of an ex private detective, but not the kind of uh, private detective that solves intricate mysteries. He's the guy you hire if you think your spouse is cheating on you and you need some some photos of your spouse, <laughs> you know, at a, at a seedy motel or something. Uh, and he's from Charleston and some stuff happens in Charleston, South Carolina, and he ends up renting a little cabin in Crusoe uh, to get away from Charleston and escape some bad business. And he just comes into contact with a host of bizarre <laughs> local characters and stumbles into one mess after another and, and is just lazy and apathetic, but good natured and He's one of those flawed characters, but he is well aware of his flaws. Uh, he, he, he doesn't deny them. And he, he would like to change some of those, but uh, just doesn't have the energy to do it. You yeah, know? at a certain point, the cake's baked. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, Might as well just live with it. I mean, you and I are about the same age. It's like, well, this is what the cake's going to look like. It may not be your favorite, but it ain't going to be uh, any other kind. Yep, this is this is what I got. <laughs> when I was like, you know, when I talk about my town, my town had like five thousand. How many people did? How, how big was Caruso? Or, not Caruso. Oh, Caruso, just tiny. Not not even a. I mean, it's got a volunteer fire department and a and oh, a gas so, station. That's so it's, it. It's bigger than the town. Mine was five thousand people. Yours is smaller than that. Yeah, yeah. It's tiny little community. Yeah. yeah, and I tell people like the folks that end up in those towns are one of two kinds of people: either their families have been there forever, or they're trying mm -hmm. to get away from something. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's yeah. Who, yeah. And if uh, you ask them, you know, about their past, yeah, they may or may not tell you. Yeah. And you may or may not want to know. Yeah, most. Of <laughs> yeah, I got lots of family, and it's like eh, some things are some mysteries are better left unsolved. That's right. So the book comes out in August, right? Uh, yes, August tenth, and this is the this is your debut. This is your first one. Yep, this is the first one. How long from the time you put pen to paper, in a metaphorical way, to the time it came out? Uh, I think I started in the spring of twenty sixteen. So that's not bad. Five years is. I mean, I know now it seems like not a long time. At the beginning, you're like, when is this yeah. going to end? Yeah, so I think that's when I started. That's when that that kind of air, airline magazine folded. Um, but then, so yeah, five years, and then there was probably at least a year, maybe eighteen months in that I didn't touch it at all. Yeah. You know, because I had, I still had to pay the rent. You know, yeah, I I still have to pay the rent. Right, so. yeah, that no, that never goes away. It didn't change, but yeah. So is this a guy you think you're gonna keep writing about, or was this like a one time thing, or do you not know yet? No, I, I actually set it up to be a series because I like the detective series. Like, yeah. like I was saying, Michael Connolly and, and Harry Bosch and yeah. uh, John Sanford with Lucas Davenport, those kind of characters. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it would be cool to keep this going. And I, and I have. I'm actually finishing up the sequel right now. Uh, and it's, I think they've already set it to come out in June of next year. 
wow next year yeah yeah the existent it's i call that the existential horror of success like yay i've got this done like oh shit i gotta do this again immediately yeah i gotta do this again with a deadline yeah <laughs> there's none of this five year let me meander through it they're like when's the next one like holy shit i, I don't know when is the next one <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. yeah that's the at&t customer that you're trying to reach is out of service <laughs> right right <laughs> Well, that's great. It's such a, I know um, it's, it was such a weird tale. I've interviewed so many writers and like the way you came about this is literally, I almost never say this because people's journeys are generally kind of the same. Like I've never talked to anybody that at 40 was like, yeah, fuck it. I think I'm going to try this other thing. And that other thing be writing. Right. right. <laughs> so that's amazing. I'm really excited. And uh, I love detective stories too. So I'm looking for, and I love small town. So, and I love people who are flawed and kind of fucked up. So this sounds like right in my wheelhouse. Just right up your alley, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you for taking some time to chat with me today. Um, Graveyard Fields is out in August and uh, I can't wait to pick it up. Great. Thanks for having me, Brad. Well, there you have it. That was Stephen Tingle, whose book Graveyard Fields is out right now. He's great. It was such a fun conversation with him. And before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you liked what you heard and saw on the program today, do us those two favors we talked about at the top of the show. First, tell your friends about us. Best way to spread the word. Second, you can leave us a written review or a starred review wherever you listen to podcasts. This is particularly important if you listen on Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host, our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget, we've got these video podcasts coming out on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. Every Monday and Friday, we got a bunch of them coming out. You can also catch the audio wherever you listen to The Jam. Speaking of, The Jam is out every Wednesday, so make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, we'll see you around the internet. Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.